Well, good morning, church. Hey, good to see you. You always wonder on these 80-degree days, who's going to show up this morning? Well, I'm glad you're here. I really am. Excited about our brand-new study in Ruth. We are in August. We are in a four-week study in Ruth called Hope is Here. So I want to invite you to take your copy of the scriptures or your electronic device and let's get to Ruth. If you have your phone or device, just type in Ruth 1 and uh, after it type in the letters N-I-V, which would be the translation I am reading from this morning. And if you have a Bible copy with you, Ruth is just the eighth book from the very beginning, and it follows Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges. So that may be a help for you in finding the book of Ruth. And we are in chapter 1 today, and we will be in Ruth through the month of August. And as you pull up the book of Ruth, let me just give you some quick background on this biblical writing as we get going. Ruth is a, it's just a perfect, classic, short story, and in fact, some people, even beyond a biblical writing, have called it one of the most beautiful short stories ever written. It is one of five books that are read at various Jewish festivals, and it's normally read at the Festival of Weeks, also called Pentecost, which marked the end of the grain harvest. And you wonder, why is it read at the end of the grain harvest? Well, you're actually going to find that out when we get a little bit farther along in the book of Ruth. It's an account that was passed on by oral tradition to be penned at a later date. And these are all, and this is so important for us to remember, these are all real people written at a very real time, known biblically and known historically. They lived in a known country, in known towns, and they went through very real life situations. And folks, here's the reality. These people needed hope. They needed hope just like Vicky here needed hope. They needed hope just like the people that go through grief share needed hope. They needed hope just like you need hope, and they needed hope just like I need hope. These folks here 3,000 years ago needed hope. And we're going to find out the situation why they needed hope here today. So Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to start out just looking at the first five verses. So you've been sitting down for a little while. I feel the blood has completely left your brain, hasn't it? So how about we just stand for a moment? I'm just going to read the first five verses of the book of Ruth. And just follow along, however you have it, whether it's in your Bible or your electronic device. I'm just going to read through. Just follow along in your copy of the Scriptures. Here's what it says. So in the day when the judges ruled, there was a famine that was in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. 
Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons, and they married Moabite women. One was Orpah, and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. I just pray for a moment before we get cranking in this. God, I just pray. that hope would be here. God, we need hope. Some people have walked in here specifically needing hope, needing to find a way forward. Father, I pray that you would use this book, this passage, this account to help us to find true hope. Lead us forward. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Help us to find it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Let's get to work together. On the back of your worship folder is a little guide to help us work through, and I hope there's plenty of room for you to jot extra notes as we work through this together. You know, I'm not sure what you imagine when you think about life and Bible days. You know, three millennia has almost passed since the writing of Ruth. And you wonder, what's different? You know, so many things will be different from then to now. How in the world could we ever relate to that day. You know, they didn't have phones. They didn't have cars. You know, their clothes were completely different. Their culture was so much different. How in the world could there ever be any kind of a connection with them and with us? How could we ever deal with what they dealt with? How could they deal with what we deal with in our day? Well, we're just about to find out We have so much in common with what they dealt with in their day. So so check this out. There's three things. I call them the big three. And we're going to see that what their value system was like in that day is so much like our value system today. So check these these things out on the back of your worship folder. Life in the day of Ruth, I call them the big three. These things you'll see today too. Life in the day of Ruth, the big three. Everyone did their own thing. Everyone did their own thing. And here's where you see it. If you look at at right in the very first phrase of Ruth 1, it says, in the days when the judges ruled. Now that may not really stick out a whole lot, in the days when the judges ruled. I just want you to see, here's the connection to all this. The days when the judges ruled, if you have a regular copy of the scripture, just flip the page back one to the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, the very last verse in Judges. It says, in those days Israel had no king, so the judges were ruling. And look at this phrase, how the the, uh, book of Judges ends. Israel had no king, 
Everyone did as they saw fit. So here's how this works. In the days when the judges ruled, everyone did their own thing. General leadership came from the judges. They were less judicial. They were more like military leaders. And basically, it was a day of moral relativism. It was a day of, hey, it's your life. Look out for number one. It was the popular phrase when I was growing up. Let's see if you grew up in the same kind of day as I did. Fill in the phrase. You ready? If it feels good. Okay, so you're at least 49 years old. So the direction of general morality was in steep decline. And just when some people would say, boy, can it get any worse? It did. Because people did whatever they felt like. People just did their own thing. Here's number two. People made decisions based on money. It was just the way that things went. This was life in the day of Ruth. This was number two of the big three. Everyone did their own thing. People made decisions based on money. You'll notice what happened. There was a famine in the land. Now let me just tell you about the land. The land was the land of promise. This was the promised land. This was the place that, that God had said, hey, I want to bless you. This was yours. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. Like you get in there and you hang on and I'm going to take care of you Israelites. Now, there was a time when all of a sudden there's a problem and, and famine came. There was no rain that came and so the agricultural time just tanked and so people were saying, what do we do? This is the land of promise and now there's a problem. What do we do? Well, Elimelech said, you know what? I think we need to get up and go. And so here's when this whole promised land, it wasn't working out, and this was the impetus to move to Moab. And so he gets up and he moves from the promised land, something he was not supposed to do. He moves to Moab, he leaves his family, he leaves his religious system, I think that they know that they're going to a pretty bad country because it mentions when they leave, he was leaving just for a while. It wasn't supposed to be a long time. And it was just basically to generate cash. I I'm just going for a little while. I don't think he was the only one that did it. But people made decisions based upon money. And here's the third thing. Not only was there this whole everyone did their own thing and people made decisions based upon money, part of the big three was, you know, you just end up blending in with society. Here they went to live in the country of Moab and it was supposed to be for a while. I just want you to see how this kind of works out. There's a tip in the text that helps us understand that Elimelech and Naomi 
knew it wasn't a good place to live. So, so look at verses 1 and 2. So there was this uh, famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live. Here's the tip. Went to live for a while in the country Moab. The, the word literally here is they went to sojourn. This is just for a little while. This is supposed to be, hey, I'm just passing through. We're just going to be there. We're not packing heavy. We're packing light. I'm not staying long. This is a short-term gig. Now, you know the difference. Are you a, um, are you a camping kind of a person? I'm not a real camping person. Um, although we do like vacations. And um, this past March, we went on vacation to Florida. And we ended up, <clears throat> we packed, if you can believe it, our kids and our clothes and everything we needed for two weeks in our van, and we went to Florida. And there was even room for my wife and I. And we went down, and we came back. And, you know, that's the beauty of a short-term stay is that you don't have to pack heavy. Now, it's a little bit different. When you're moving, things look a lot different. Like when we moved out here two years ago, we had two vehicles. They were jammed. And all of our kids were spread between the two vehicles. We didn't have room for the dogs. And so the whole trip for 15 hours, the dogs were actually on top of our children. And then on top of that... There was a tractor trailer, a 53-foot-long tractor trailer with all of our stuff. I don't know if you realize how long a 53-foot tractor trailer is. So I measured my house this morning. My house is 45 feet long. I thought, this tractor trailer is longer than my house. Like, why? And this tractor trailer was packed end-to-end. -end. Floor to ceiling was unbelievable with all of our stuff. So we pack a little bit heavier if you're staying than if it's just a short-term thing. And so this was the situation, though, for Elimelech and Naomi. They're like, hey, we're just going. We're just going. It's just for a little while. It's, Moab is not really a good place. I think we're just going to slide in. It's just for a little while because of the famine, and then we're going to slide back out. But notice what happened. It was supposed to sojourn, but then the end of verse 2, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab. But notice the word change. They went to Moab and lived there. It became their place of residence. Word change. It was supposed to sojourn there, and now they resided there. And I want you to see something else. Chances are, 
Here we know that they ended up, their sons, Malon and Kilion, ended up marrying two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. So now the roots were growing deeper. So now you see them blending in with society. They weren't supposed to leave the land of promise. They weren't supposed to intermarry with women from other religions and other countries. And now you see them blending in. And so this short-term stay was becoming more long-term. There was no textual indication that Orpah and Ruth had become converted to worship Yahweh. And there was some understanding, potentially according to tradition, that Orpah and Ruth may have been within the family of the king of Moab, King Eglon, which is now why you can see Elimelech and Naomi hunkering down in Moab long term. And then what we end up seeing is they were there now for over a decade. The end of verse 4, they married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth, after they have lived there about 10 years, this had gone off the rails, folks. This was no longer just a sojourn like, hey, in, out, let's, let's uh, help us out during this time of famine. This was a lot longer process. And so now this whole thing went longer and longer. They blended with society. They became married to women with connection. They gained position and advantage. And, and the big three happened for Elimelech and Naomi. They ended up doing their own thing. They became people who made decisions based upon money. They blended in with society. What was supposed to be short-term became long-term. And then the unthinkable happened. The unimaginable happened. Elimelech had passed a while earlier, and then Malon and Kilion died, and some believe that they died in battle fighting for Moab. Some believe that they became a part of the Moabite army. And everything was working out. Everything was just perfect. You know, they'd say, hey, we don't have any problems here in Moab. Everything is going according to plan. And boom, it all was wiped out. And there in a day, folks, there's no life insurance. There's no safety net. And now we have three women that are living in defeat and desperation. And they're saying, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Naomi has now lost her husband. She has lost her sons. And these two Moabite women now have lost their husbands. And all of them are in complete despair. Is there any hope at all? Reminds me of a story told by Ben Patterson he says, years ago, an S-4 submarine was rammed by a ship off the coast of Massachusetts. It sank immediately, and the entire crew was trapped in a prison house of death. Every effort was made to rescue the crew, but all ultimately failed. 
Near the end of the ordeal, a deep-sea diver who was doing everything in his power to find a way for the crew's release thought he heard a tapping on the steel wall of the sunken ship. And he placed his helmet up against the side of the vessel and he realized it was Morse code. And he attached himself to the side and he spelled it out in his mind as he was listening to the tapping and the message being tapped from within. It was repeating the same question over and over. And the question from within that submarine that was lying on the bottom of the sea was this. Is there any hope over and over is there any hope and some of you might be feeling that this morning some of you might be feeling that relationally Some of you may be feeling that I'm single. And you know, to do it God's way, it is not working out. I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. Some of you may be married and you feel trapped and and, and all you do is fight and, and you just feel like there is absolutely no hope relationally. Or some of you feel no hope physically and, and you've talked to the doctor and you have a terrible diagnosis and, and you realize, I, I do not know if there's any hope to get through this. Some people have battled here with an addiction and whether it be to a liquid or to a substance or to a website and some people feel I do not think I can break through this Some people feel, I don't know that I can get any hope through my financial crisis. I am so far underwater. I don't see any hope to do this thing the way that God would want me to do it. And I can only imagine that for these three women that were standing in Moab and they're standing on this road and, and they're wondering which way do we go? How do we get out of this? What in the world do we do? Is there really any hope for us? They're asking the same exact question that some of us are asking here this morning. Is there really any hope? There's great news. Because the reality is whether you're three women huddled in the land of Moab 3,000 years ago or if you're in Traverse City today, you come to the point 
You need hope. And I have people ask me all the time, Brian, tell me it's going to be okay. Show me a path forward. Tell me what is my next step toward hope. Well, I'm going to tell you about four people in this account, and they're going to say exactly the path for hope. So here we go. I'm going to tell you four people. You're going to see the last two on your notes, but I'm going to give you four names. Here's the path toward hope. Here's the first person. He's not on your notes. It's because he's not yet in the text. I'm going to give you his name. We're going to talk about him next week, but his name is Boaz. He's he's in chapter 2, which is where we're going to be next week. Boaz is a person He didn't go to Moab. Boaz stayed in the promised land. When there was famine and things didn't look promising in the promised land, they were still a problem. He stayed exactly where he was. And he had a message. And in fact, in chapter 2, when, I'm going to tell you a little bit of it ahead of time, but you still have to come next week, Okay. When Ruth and Naomi came back to Bethlehem, Ruth ends up in the field of Boaz. The fields of Boaz. Boaz is making it financially. In what was the land of promise that became a land of a problem, now was the land of profitability. Boaz was making it because he stayed faithful to God through the challenges of life. He stayed right where he was, right where God wanted him to be. And here's the message of Boaz. It's going to be the message of Ruth in just a moment. Boaz says, true hope is where God is, folks. True hope is where God is. This is where it all starts. This is what Ruth learned. And Boaz says, man, I'm glad I stayed. When Elimelech got up and left for Moab, I stayed. And guess what? I sure am glad I did. True hope is where God is. Here's the second person. It's Naomi. Naomi. She ends up Ten years ago, having left the land of promise and going to Moab, and she left with a husband, she left with two sons, she thought, man, this is going to work out well. I think it's going to do well to to do what we think is going to work out well for us. It's going to do well to chase the almighty dollar. It's going to do well to blend in with society. And she goes and she comes back empty, even according to her own admission. She says in verse 21 in chapter 1, I went away full, I come back empty. And you know what she says? It doesn't pay. It doesn't pay to do your own thing. It doesn't pay to go your own way. And she went back, she went back to Bethlehem. She turned around and went back, and it made sense for her. There's family back there. It made logical sense. It made biblical sense. 
Naomi probably was saying at this point, man, I wish I stayed in the land of promise. But here's where I want to finish up this morning. Then there were two widows, Ruth and Orpah. And let me tell you, I have practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced to make sure I don't say Oprah. If I can get through the whole sermon, I just want you all to give me a high five on the way out, okay? There were two Moabite widows, Ruth and Orpah. They were at the ultimate fork in the road. What was hope for them? What was hope for them? Was it to stay in Moab? That was their home. What was their next step of hope? Well, the message of Ruth is this. True hope is where God is. Well, walk through with me here. Look at verse 11. Here was Naomi's advice. She was still in this mindset. Do what you feel is good for you. And notice Naomi's hope advice for them. Verse 11, Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Let's just work through this and then we'll be finished. Naomi's hope advice, return home, and it kind of makes sense. You're a Moabite, especially if there's a connection to the king. Go back, go back to your home. That's your best chance for money. That's your best chance for a husband. That's your best chance for kids. And then here's Naomi's admission. There's no hope with me. I can't have more kids. Even if I could, you'd have to wait. Remember the big three, do your own thing. If it feels right for you, make decisions based on money. Blend in with society. Stay on that path. It's your best chance for you to have success. Do what you want. You know what didn't make sense? What Ruth did. 
That made no sense. Go with your mother-in-law to a foreign country? Pick up scraps in the field? You know what I've never seen? I've never seen someone write a guide to picking up a wife or a husband based on the book of Ruth. You know, here's top ways to pick up a spouse. Number one, move to a foreign country. Number two, go to a field and pick up scraps. Number three, hang out with your mother-in-law. I have to be careful. My mother-in-law is here this morning. When I found out she was coming, I had to cut out everything I was going to say at this point in the sermon. On the bright side, it saved you 10 minutes. This made no sense. But Ruth figured something out. True hope is where God is. True hope is not in what I feel is best. True hope is not in what I feel will advantage me financially. True hope is not in blending in with society. True hope is where God is. Orpah went back to her people and her gods. She stayed in Moab. She stayed in her societal living. She returned to her false religion. Ruth doesn't tell us any more about Orpah, although let me tell you, that Jewish tradition explodes with words about Orpah and what happened to her, and I'm going to let you know a little bit about her in just a moment. But she went back to all of it. She lived all of it. Ruth, something was different. She wanted something different. They both had an emotional experience. They both wept. They both kissed Naomi. But they went in different directions at this fork in the road. Orpah went back to Moab. She went back to all she knew. Ruth went to the great unknown. She clung to Naomi. She wanted something different. I want to be with you. I want to identify with the Jewish people. I want to be in the land of promise. I want to worship and obey your God. I want to abandon this place of Moab and all that it is. We're beginning to see a primary theme for today. Ruth believed that true hope was where God is. Ruth knew this. Ruth embraced this. 
and it changed everything for her. Orpah went back. I want to take you farther down the road, the very end of Ruth. In the genealogy, Ruth ends up marrying Boaz. Just act surprised when we get to chapter 4. She has a son, Obed. Obed has a son, Jesse. And Jesse has a little boy, David. David may be a name you're familiar with. And Ruth didn't just kiss Naomi, she clung to her, she stayed with her all the way back to Bethlehem, she obeyed God, God cared for her, and she was in the lineage at this point that we see of David. Orpah, she kissed Naomi, but she went back to her land of Moab, her people, her gods. And I know that this is tradition, but tradition shows her living a very sexually charged life. And rabbis identify Orpah in Ruth with the names Rapha or Harapha and state that she was in the lineage of four very big boys. Let me give you their names. Ishbinabab, Saf, Lami, you ready for the fourth one, folks? Goliath. Isn't that something? And there's an old saying back in Jewish tradition. May the sons of the one who kissed come and fall by the hands of the sons of the one who clung. And it leads us to the one main truth. True hope is always, folks, always where God is. It's always where God is. It may not always make sense. Our society may think you're making a ridiculous decision. Following God may seem like the biggest risk that you've ever made in your life. It may require you to step out in a gigantic leap of faith. You may question yourself all along the way. It, it may not be the safest route. You may not see immediate results. But true hope is always where God is. And so you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, where do I find this? Where do I find where God is? Where do I find this true hope? And, and from the lesson in, in Ruth, I just, I want to give you this, and with this we'll finish. <clears throat> Here's the main thing, and I want us to understand this is so significant. Orpah and Ruth, they were on the same road. They were at the same junction. 
They both felt something. They both loved Naomi. They both had an emotional response. They both wept. They both kissed Naomi. But there is one big distinction. And this is something to remember, and that is direction determines destination, not emotion. There are many religious people like Orpah, they feel emotion. They sense something significant. They may even cry. They weep. They lay it out there, but when they walk out, they're faced with an issue of direction. Now what am I going to do? And it is direction that determines destination. They may be moved. They may care, but the final decision is not determined by a kiss. It is determined by who you cling to. The final decision is determined if the road you go down is truly following after God. If you are clinging to Him, it is seen in the tangible ways I show who my hope is truly in. Ruth didn't just kiss Naomi. She clung to her. She was holding on. She wasn't about to let go. She wasn't going back where she came from. And I just want to give these to you because there's two ways that we need to think about our hope today. Number one, we need to have our hope in God, number one, for eternity. And here's how this rests. Jesus is the direction for eternity. He is not a direction for eternity. He is the direction for eternity true hope for eternity is found in him it's not found in us if you're wondering how am i going to get to heaven it's not found in boy i hope i'll be good enough if i do enough good things true hope for eternity is not found in your church attendance if i can just go to church enough or if I do enough good things, that's not where true hope is. It's where God is. And let me tell you, hope for eternity is found in believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. That's where it's at. True hope is where God is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except by me. That's where true hope is. Jesus is the direction for eternity. You need to put your hope in God for eternity. Here's number two. You need to put your hope in God for all of life. God's word is the direction for every day. Here's where it's at. Your marriage, your job, your integrity, your sexuality, your finances, your addictions. True hope is where God is. 
God's word lets you know where he's at on those things. We need to be where God's word is. That's where he's at. Not where your reasoning or your feelings are. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. God's word's the direction for every day. Be where his word is. Be where his followers are. Link up with people where they are where you need to be. True hope is where God is. I was thinking about this. Jesus has had enough kisses in his life. He needs people who will cling to him, who will hang on to him, who will follow him, who will trust him. Because that's where true hope is. Would you close your eyes with me? There's a moment of decision that Ruth had to make And she did not turn back at all. And she left it all behind. Have you made that decision? Have you made that decision for eternity? Have you made that decision for your life? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he died on the cross for you? Or maybe you're dealing with some things right now and you need to say, you know what, enough of me. I need to leave this stuff behind. I need to follow hard after God and be where he is. Enough of me calling my shots. Today needs to be your day. Today needs to be your day where you say, I want true hope. I want to be where God is. I want your eyes closed. But if you're with me on this, if you want today to be your day of hope and you need to make a decision, leave something behind and to be where God is would you just raise your hand with me this morning I'm the only one looking and I want to see that and I want to indicate it I want to pray for you personally I see you, yes, and I see you thank you, God bless you thank you, I see you I'm with you I know it I'm with you for hope any others? I'm with you. Yes, brother, I see you. Yeah. I'm with you for hope. It's time. I got to leave some things behind. I want to be where God is. I want to follow him with all I've got. Any others? God, you see these folks. 
pray for hope for them. May we be where you are. May we cling to you. May we leave it all behind. Follow after you with all that we are. We pray this in Jesus' name.